Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Bren Gibbs. That's what we do around here. We pray and we fast. And that's what we do as a people here. We pray and we fast. That's who we are. And so if you've never prayed or fasted, well, get used to it. <laughs> Hang out with us and, and you'll, uh, you'll jump right in. So um, before I get started, I, I kind of felt um, just to share something. Um, as I was praying about tonight, I really felt like God was going to bring in and give us just a godly, holy conviction. That's one of the things he was wanting to do tonight is just give us a conviction. And, um, and the Lord spoke to me and he said that there are some people or maybe one person or maybe many that struggle with conviction. And whether it be because somebody, well, somebody spoke into your life about it or something, but what he was showing me, that, well, let me just say this. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. There's a difference between conviction and guilt. Condemnation condemns you and already judges you for something. Where, or guilt puts that shame upon you. That's not what conviction does. Conviction actually gives you a grace to rise up to do and to walk in and to live that thing that you, are, you have that conviction about. And so I just feel like God wanted to break that off of some people tonight. And I just want to do it at the beginning of the service because that's what God is wanting to do. Even as the word comes forth, he's just wanting to just lay his heart on you. He's wanting to lay conviction upon you in a way that graces you and enables you to do what he's called you to do and to be the person that you were created to be. And so we just break off that wrong thinking right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just we just loose it from their lives. And Father, I just bind them, bind your people to the conviction of the Holy Spirit tonight. I bind your people, Lord, to holiness and righteous living. I bind your people, Lord, to your presence and to receiving and embracing what you're doing in them through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to start in Ephesians tonight. So if you have your Bibles or your iPhones or whatever you have. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5. And in this first passage of scripture, we're going to, I'm going to stop and I'm going to talk about some points here within it as we go. We're just going to read through it slow and we're going to just really bring out some keys and some points that I feel like the Holy Spirit's highlighting tonight. And then we'll go from there. So it's Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. We'll get back to that one in a little bit. Verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet swelling 
smelling aroma. And, you know, it says to walk in love as Christ has loved us. And how did Christ demonstrate his love for us? He demonstrated it as an offering and a sacrifice. And that's what love is. Love is giving of yourself, denying yourself. Love is about sacrificing. And that's how Jesus displayed it. And oftentimes, you know, I think people are really confused about love right now in, in our culture. And where love is, it's, you know, well, you're not loving me, you know, and all this stuff, you know, because maybe we say something that convicts or maybe we say something that is out of love, but they don't feel the love. And so, but this is what love is. It's Jesus sacrificing. It's, it's giving of ourselves. And so my question is not, you know, we got to stop judging everybody else as to what their love looks like and what, you know, what they're, oh, how you're loving me and are you loving me right and everything. But we have to judge our own selves and say, are we loving right? Are we loving God right? Because ultimately that's, that's the number one thing. Are we loving God right? And we, are we giving of ourselves unto God? Are we sacrificing unto God? So let's keep going. Verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So what is fitting for us as saints? Is there not even to be a hint or even word of the saints of God living in fornication? There shouldn't be among us what's fitting for us is that there shouldn't be a hint of of pornography. There shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality. There shouldn't be a hint of these things within us and among us, these things being said. There shouldn't be a, a hint of uncleanness or covetousness, of coveting other people, which is idolatry, it says later on. Let it not even be named among you, because this is what is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We didn't know wrath was in the New Testament, did we? (laughs) Everybody says it's in the Old Testament. Oh, that's under the Old Covenant. It's in the New Covenant. It's right here. Who would have thought? (laughs) Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. (laughs) Light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. 
and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Here we go. For whatever makes manifest is light. And this is what the enemy is trying to do in our culture right now. He's trying to keep the light from manifesting. It says expose. We're supposed to expose. Expose the works of darkness. That word expose means refute, convict, correct. It means demand an explanation. It means to admonish or show one's faults. We're supposed to say this is we're supposed to manifest the light and reveal what's been the deeds of darkness. But, but in this culture, what the enemy's trying to do, he's trying to silence the voices of the light so that we don't expose it, so that we don't talk about it, so that we don't confront it, and we don't say this is, this is what it is and this is what it does. The enemy's trying to stop us from doing that. Verse 14, therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. See that you walk circumspectly. That word means perfect, diligent, accurately. See that you walk accurately. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. That word redeeming means to recover from the power of another. To recover from the power of another. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, just as Brian spoke about I believe it was, well, it may have been two weeks ago, one or two weeks ago, where he was talking about how Jesus has already done it. He's already destroyed the deeds of darkness. And our job is to enforce that which Jesus has already done. And that's what this scripture is saying. The days are evil. But what we are to do, we're to redeem the time right now. We're to recover from the power of another. You know, when something is decided in a courtroom, if, if something is decided where a person is not supposed to have a child, guess what? Someone has to go and get that child out of that house and, and redeem it from that place and, and take away the power of that person. Somebody has to do that, even though it was decided in the courts. Somebody has to go do it. If somebody, if a judge or in a courtroom, there is a decision that somebody does not belong in a home, there has to be people, authorities, people with authority to go to that home and remove that person from that house. That is what God's calling us to do, to recover, to redeem the times because the days are evil. 
Verse 17, therefore do not be unwise. Some translations say foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Being drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation. Dissipation means debauchery, immorality, corruption, wickedness, sin. It's all things fleshly. That's what being drunk with wine leads to. When you get drunk on wine, as my husband often says, you know, in every bottle of alcohol, there is the potential For violence, for rape, for incest, for immorality, for sin. You can go down the list. But we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with Him, immersed in Him. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always For all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. All right. I want to go back to one verse, and that's verse 17. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what God is saying, what the scripture is saying here is that the opposite or the contrast of understanding the will of God is to be foolish. The opposite of to understand the will of God is to be foolish. So... Maybe you're thinking, okay, so what does that mean? If you're unsure of a situation, does that mean that you're a fool? (laughs) You know, if if you're not sure about something, if you're not sure what the will of God is in a situation, does that mean that you're a fool? Well, let's let's read a little bit. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Okay, so so what God's saying is that there's a grace there. You know, it says God gives generally to all without finding fault. So if you don't know about a situation, if you lack wisdom in a situation or about a topic or anything in this life, if you lack the wisdom and you ask of God, God will give you the answer. He will give you the key. He will give it to you. And you will, you will not have any, he'll not find any fault in you for doing it. He wants you to come. He wants you to come to him to receive the answers that you need for your life, for your situations, for your purposes. So let me read another one. Actually, it's right here in Ephesians 5. It's, part, um, it's the end of verse 8. It says, walk as children of light. 
Verse 10 says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Finding out what's acceptable to him. So it's not that you, we just naturally know, but we are finding out what is acceptable unto the Lord. There's many times in scripture that shows us this. You know, Rebecca, when she was pregnant with her two sons, she had twins in her belly. It was Jacob and Esau. And, and she was struggling. Her pregnancy was difficult. She was struggling in her pre- pregnancy. And what, did, what does the word say? It says that she inquired of the Lord. And the Lord revealed to her why she was struggling and what was going on inside of her womb between the two, the two boys. She inquired of the Lord, and the Lord gave her wisdom. King David, over and over, over again, on numerous occasions, he would inquire of the Lord for, now hear this prophetically too, but he would inquire of the Lord on what battle he should enter into. Do you hear it prophetically? Who he should go after and attack. What cities he should overtake. Over and over again, he would inquire of the Lord on these things. He didn't flippantly just say, hey, I'm a warrior. I'm going to take it. You know, he inquired of the Lord. Jehoshaphat inquired of the Lord. And Israel had victory without even fighting the enemy. When Jehoshaphat inquired of him, you remember that amazing story, you know, and and all they did was worship God. And and the enemy said, this is my battle. You're not going to do anything. Could you imagine if they didn't inquire of the Lord and then they went in to fight? I mean, but what a beautiful testimony. The scripture says in 1 Chronicles 10 that King Saul died. It says it in the word clearly that King Saul died because he failed to inquire of the Lord. So the key is inquiring of the Lord. That's the key. That's the key to not being foolish, but understanding what the will is, will of God is, is to inquire of him. To seek him. And this is, if, if you, you know, sometimes we get asked, how do, you know, this, the question, how do you know the will of God? How do you learn the will of God? How do you begin to walk in the will of God? And ultimately, it begins with this, with the word that's written, that's revealed to us, that's given to us, that people died so that we might have this. That's what this is all about. And this is where we begin to find the word of God, to know what is true, to know what his will is, to walk in it. And and as we learn this, then we begin to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us what his will is. Because we know this and we know what truth is. So that when the Holy Spirit speaks it, it lines up with this and it coincides with it. You know, the, he, he won't go against this. He won't. And that's how we begin to learn the word of God. 
Romans 12, we all know this scripture. Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You renew it in this word. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. See, this shows you God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right. So what we're going to do, we're going to take this a little step further. And so go with me here, if you will. All right. Oftentimes, when in Scripture, when they, especially in the New Testament, because that's where it often says they inquired of the Lord. But when they inquired of the Lord, oftentimes they would go to prophets to inquire of him. And the prophet would get the word from the Lord or the prophet would inquire of the Lord for them. And, and that's how they would receive the Lord, not, or the word, not always, but oftentimes it was like that. You, did you know that, that the prophets in the Old Testament, many of them were priests before they were prophets? They were first priests. And so what that teaches us is that what were the priests doing? They were before the Lord. They were in the presence of God. They were ministering unto the Lord. They were, they were singing before the Lord. They were, you know, praying unto him. They were worshiping the Lord. And in that presence and atmosphere, they began to hear the voice of God. That's how the prophets, that's who God often raised up, was those men who were doing those things. And so, and so just as we are, we are a kingdom of priests, right, before God. And so this is what God is wanting to do in our hearts and in our community and our lives is to raise us up in order to hear the voice of the Lord for ourselves and for others, a community of the prophetic. Do you know how intercessors, many of you who know an intercessor, intercessors are often prophetic, you know, and, and oftentimes, why? It's because they are praying and interceding. They're before the Lord, inquiring of him and, and seeking him on, on things. They're before him. And so God begins to do that in their life. They begin to tap into that hearing the voice of God and releasing it. And so I think that, let me just say this. One area in, in our culture where I think maybe it's we've failed or maybe it's just revealing of the hearts or maybe it's a little mixture of both, but I think it's in social media on hearing the voice of the Lord, all right? Because in social media, everyone has an opinion, don't they? Everyone has an opinion. <laughs> everyone in, in that you know, world, it seems like everyone's voices are, are of equal value, you know, but that's not the way it is. There should be in the kingdom. Not everyone's words are of equal value. The word of the Lord is high, highly esteemed. And so what happens in our social media and culture is everyone has an opinion and everyone has an opinion about this person's opinion and everyone has an opinion about, you know, everything that's posted, there's an opinion about it. And, and what, I, what I feel is that we no longer look 
to hear the voice of the Lord. We're no longer looking and saying, okay, that one is a man of God. That one knows the voice of the Lord. Or, or we don't even look at maybe their call, the call of God on their life. Because if we are to esteem, we have to esteem people's calls. You know, in the Old Testament, they esteemed the prophets. You know, they knew that whether they liked it or not, they were going to get the word of the Lord from them. But in, in today in our culture and with social media and, and the news and, and all these things, everybody's throwing out opinions But who has the word of the Lord. That's what we're supposed to be looking for. Who is declaring the word of the Lord? Are we declaring the word of the Lord? Are we saying the heart of God? Are we declaring the heart of God? And it's important And we have to identify the call of God on people's lives and what God is saying through them, even on social media. Because you could be saying something that's contrary to what God is saying. And one thing that I saw, and I just I really feel like this is one thing that I identified in our last election. All right. You know, everybody had an opinion, and when we were talking even over the whole Christian community, people didn't know what, was, what to do, what was going on. It was, seemed really crazy, you know, and um, some people felt like they couldn't vote at all, and some because, you know, who's the righteous one? I have to vote for righteousness, you know, which I believe Mike Pence was a man of God, but many people didn't feel like they could vote because of who he was connected to, and, you know, and, and all of these things were going on, and, and some people were siding with this one and, and saying, you know, I support this person, and then other Christians were saying, I support this one, and it was like, where's the, where's the voice of God in all of this? Where is what God is saying? Who God has put his, you know, appointment upon? Who has God called for this season and this hour to do this purpose? And because the Christians as a whole, it wasn't, there wasn't a unity. There wasn't a, you know, them rallying together and knowing. Because there was, there was some on both sides. You know, highly respected ministers on both sides. And so, but one, there was one group of people that I saw that there was unity in. And it was with the prophets and the apostles. If you looked at what they were saying, they were in unity. And it didn't matter if it, some of them didn't even run together. Some of them didn't know each other. You know, they were very different from each other. But yet there was unity in what they were hearing from God, the prophetic dreams that they were having, that God was revealing his heart, the, the prophetic words, you know, God revealing to them in different ways. Of, of who God was appointing for this time and, and how he was going to use them. That was the same. And I believe that, that we have to, as a people, not only hear God for ourselves, but also be able to hear God through others. That God has anointed and appointed godly men and women and, and understand their place and their calling and the weightiness of their words. 
like the apostles and the prophets, you know, and then because what God does with that is then when the apostles and prophets stand and say what the word of the Lord is and the purpose of God and what God is doing right now in the kingdom and the saints of God, even if it's a remnant of the saints of God coming into agreement with that because they identify the gift on their life and they honor that and because they honor what God is doing and there's unity and there's corporateness, that's where God moves. That's where God moves. And it doesn't necessarily have to be everyone, but it just has to be a group. It might just be a remnant. Sometimes God just uses the remnant. But this is what happened in the book of Acts, where the apostles, the people would come to the apostles, the teaching and the preaching of the word. You know, they, would, they, they took heed to their doctrine and to their teaching, and they would meet in homes, and they would pray, and they would declare, and they would decree together with the leaders. And, and that's how God was moving in their region, and, and the kingdom of God was advancing, and miracles and signs and wonders were happening in their midst because there was the power of agreement and honoring of one another and who they were, not only as godly men and women, but also what God had placed on them, the call of God upon their lives. And that's how God was moving in that time. And like I said, sometimes it's not, you don't need all. You don't need the large numbers. We know the story of Gideon. It's amazing how he had 30,000 men ready to go and fight with him. And this is what God says, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. He was saying there's too many. And so what does God do? He puts us in a place so that we won't even sin against him when it's all over with. You know, he protects us from ourselves. But he gives, but it's to give God the glory and to show that God did it so that we don't sin against him. But it went all the way down from 30,000. He took it all the way down to 300. And that's how it happened. So he doesn't, we don't always need all the numbers. We don't always. God is moving in our midst. He just needs a, a remnant. He just needs a core of people that will say yes to him. That will know his will. And not be foolish. That will inquire of him and seek him to know what he is saying and doing in our time. All right. So we're going to go to another scripture. We're going to go to. Uh, we're going to go to Matthew twenty-five, and it's already almost a quarter after. Brian, you took all my time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was good. That was kingdom business, so I won't be mad. <laughs> I know. I got to wrap it up, man. There's going to have to be a part two. <laughs> all right. So where am I going here? All right. Let's go, let's go through this. Matthew 25. Many of you know this parable, 
but we're going to read it. It's the parable of the talents. So we're going to start in verse 14. It says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things, even into or enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back to my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so I really believe through this scripture and many others, I really believe that that this life is really a resume for the next life. This is a resume. You're in a resume. You're, you're, You're going to, you know on a job interview. (laughs) But see, in this resume, God gives grace to you. He gives grace like a father, like a father does. And and he says, okay, let's see how you're going to solve this one. Let's see if you give up. Let's see how you handle being treated wrongly. Let's see how you handle being treated unfairly. Let's see how you handle something that was supposed to be yours but was taken away from you. Let's see how you worked with that. Let's see if you give up or if you keep going. Let's see how you deal with the trials in your life that life handed you. Let's see how you overcome. See, that's what, that's what it's about. 
And so one thing, though, that's important is that God doesn't measure what you have by what he gives you. He measures what you have by the overflow or the increase of it. He, he measures what you have by what you do with it. He doesn't measure it by what he gives you. So when God gives you something, he doesn't say, oh, look, I gave Terry five talents, everybody. But Kathy only got one, but that's okay, you know. He doesn't look at that. He looks at what you do with it. And that's why the scripture says in verse 29, for everyone who has, more will be given. But he, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Well, why, what can you, how can something be taken away if you don't have anything? Because he's looking at what you've done with what he was, has given you. You don't have because you didn't do anything with what he gave you. He doesn't look at what he gives you. He looks at what you do with it. He looks at what you create with it. That's what he's looking at for all of our lives. And I know i got to wrap up. I just want to make a few more points here. And... Hmm. It says in verse 24 that the servant said to the master, I know that you're a hard man. That word hard means intolerable, stern, or harsh. All right? This, is, this scripture is talking about Jesus because he's the one that's going to come back. He's the one that went away. He's the one that's going to come back. All right? So, so it's talking about Jesus, but where this word hard was used, another place in the scripture that this was used was when Jesus decided to come out with a new teaching. And that teaching was, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. And the people said, this is a hard teaching. That's the same scripture that was used, that's used here. It's the same word, hard, that was used. But what happens, though, is that the, the servant is, judges himself by his own words because he said, I knew you were this way. I knew you were hard. You, you reap where you don't sow. You gather where you haven't scattered. I knew you were like that. And, and you know, but, but what a servant is supposed to do is to represent his master. If he knew that his his master was like that, then he should have known that's what he should have been doing. He should have been creating the same thing that he did. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says we're to be imitators of God. And we as servants of God now are, are not servants who don't know a lot. We serve God we serve God by our own free will. We're not in bondage to serve God. We serve him by our own free will. And because of that, we are called to create, to increase. He gives us power to do just what he's done. Many times we think of servants because of our culture and, and what we've known in the past and history of slaves. And they didn't educate slaves. They didn't raise slaves up. They didn't 
let them learn how to read. They didn't sow into their education. And so they couldn't do but, you know, the things just on a plantation or wherever they were serving at. But what, but the difference with us is that we do it wholeheartedly because they thought if I educate this person, they may run. They may do things against me because they'd have the wisdom and understanding to do it. But we as Christians and as bond servants unto the Lord, where we choose to be a servant of God, God raises us up and calls us and equips us. And he says, be imitators of me. And what does God do? He creates. He expands. He makes fruitful. He multiplies. He reaps where he doesn't sow. He harvests where he doesn't scatter. And so because of that, that's who we're supposed to be, who God is calling us to be. So let me wrap this up. I could say a lot more, but I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 1. And this is the first call. This is the first command and commission of God. And it says, God bless them. Talking about Adam and Eve in the garden. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the command that God gave mankind when he created us. Be fruitful. Multiply replenish, subdue, and have dominion. And guess what? Man fell, right? And we screwed it all up. And so Jesus came, and he was the sacrifice. And God raised him from the dead. And, and he reestablished everything that man screwed up, right? He reestablished it. He put everything in place. And what did he do? He gave us what we call now the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so really, though, what Jesus did was he reestablished the first command. Making disciples. What is making disciples? It's being fruitful. It's multiplying who you are. Right? A disciple is a multiplication of you. Right? Multiply, replenish, subdue, go into all the world, make it of all nations, subdue and have dominion. It was the reestablishment of the first call and commission that God gave us. And this is what God is calling us. I, I wish I could go on and on, and one day we will be able to, right? <laughs> because we won't be in a time frame and a time constraint, and that'll be fun, funner than even now. So, but, um, but this is what God is calling us to, that, that he is giving us an inheritance. And in Exodus, there's a scripture, and it says this, He's talking about he's going to drive out all to Israel. He's talking about how he's going to drive out all the people of, you know, that, that don't belong there. And he's giving him the land. They're, he's giving Israel the land that he said was his. 
And so this is what he says. I will send my terror ahead of you. Okay, this isn't the right scripture. Sorry. (laughs) It is, right? (laughs) Oh, let's see. Okay, this is it. I will not drive them out before you in a single year. Otherwise, the land would become desolate and wild animals would multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out ahead of you until you become fruitful and possess the land. All right. Proverbs 20, 21 says, an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. See, God has made promises to his people, us as individuals, us corporately, regionally, nationally, in the body of Christ as a whole. He's made promises. He's made, he's given us, and he said, this is your inheritance, but we can't receive it all at once. But what our job is and what we are to do is that to grow. Our job is to seek him to be able to grow and expand more and take more territory and have greater dominion and to keep going and to keep going until he comes, but until we see his kingdom established as he's called us to do as his people and as the people of light. And there are sometimes suddenlies, isn't there? There are suddenlies that happen. You know, and that's part of the process. You know, I, there's a minister that um, Brian used to serve with, and, and a gentleman came up to him, and he had a huge ministry, Rodney Howard Brown. He had a huge ministry. And, um, and a guy came up to him one time, and he said, Boy, it seemed like you, your ministry just sprung up overnight. And um, Rodney said to him, That was the longest night I've ever had. <laughs> because it's a process. But people don't always see the process. But God is calling us and he's asking us to continue to move forward, to continue to seek him, to seek his face, inquire of the Lord. It's the faith and the patience together, working together, that we receive and inherit the promises. And I love this company and people. I love where we're at. I love the region we're at. And God is calling us to receive things, yes, individually, but also corporately and regionally. He's doing it. And let's continue to seek him for his will, for knowing his will, and continue to seek him in doing his will. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.